We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to episode 313 of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. We have a, another preview for you today. I spoke with Arden Zwelling last week of Sportsnet Toronto. You can follow him at Arden Zwelling. He was actually on last year with us. He's an awesome dude. Uh, was talking to him about the Blue Jays and everything they were to expect this year, really. And we know that they are in kind of a rebuild mode at this point. They gave us Tulowitzki, essentially, and they're paying his salary. So we talked about that and the reasons you know, why the uh, Blue Jays were really pushing, essentially pushing him out the door and wanted this youth movement to come up. So it's actually pretty interesting, some of the, some of the inside the, uh, the, the locker room stuff that we hear from Arden about that. And then we get into the young guys, the uh, Guerrero Jr., Bichette, uh, little Biggio, guy named Rowdy. So lots of, lots of interesting things. This one is uh, a good one in the sense, too, because, you know, we're seeing some of the young guys come up 
are, are the Blue Jays going to be a, a thorn in the Yankee side? Maybe, uh, you know, they could catch some lightning in a bottle with their pitching. If Stroman and Sanchez were to, you know, regain form that they found earlier in their career, but they just haven't proved that they can do that yet. So we're essentially learning about some new guys and some, I think, you know, if you're just a baseball fan in general, at least some exciting guys that are coming up with Vlad Guerrero Jr. I mean, I was a huge fan of his dad. So that's a guy I am looking forward to seeing, you know, come up and play in the major leagues. And then we get some updates about Billy McKinney and Brandon Drury, two guys obviously that were with the Yankees last year. So um, here we go. The Blue Jays preview with Sportsnet Toronto's Arden Zwelling. All right, guys, um, very excited to bring back on the show. We had him last year uh, to cover the Toronto Blue Jays, Mr. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet Toronto. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Arden Zwelling. Arden, thanks so much for coming back on the show and uh, and giving us a little preview of what we're looking for for the Blue Jays. Hey, thanks for having me. That's what everybody wants to hear about this year, right, is what the Toronto Blue Jays are going to do. No, That's it's the exactly, big, it's a, big it was, news in this, this division. It was requested. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, we've had mailbags about the Blue Jays and and why we got the, uh, you know, the 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 other Bichette and you guys got the good Bichette. There's a lot of a lot of that <laughs> happening. That's right. <laughs> you guys got Jay Hop, so you're going to be okay. That's right. We did get Jay Hop. That's right. And actually, let's let's talk about Jay Hop for a second. Completely off the yeah. field, we had. Um, we had a couple of guests over the over the winter that that got into this discussion. Uh, Andrew was talking um, when we had our zips zips projections uh, show. But Jay Hap now goes by Jay, but yes, his name is is, uh, is it's initials J A. How does he like completely change it? And then now it's J A Y. It's like he completely changed his name. <laughs> yeah, we, you know when he when he was here. I mean, he preferred to be called Jay. So we just went with it. It's J Hap, even though it is obviously spelled J dot A dot. Uh, so you know that's just what we went with. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I'll let him you know call himself whatever he wants as long as he keeps you know pitching as well as he has and having this late career renaissance. I mean, he can call himself anything. Yeah, that's that's true. I, we don't we don't care what his name is as long as he does well in the uh, Yankee Stadium and in the Bronx. So we're good with that. Um, but you guys have had a relatively quiet offseason, really not many major, uh, major acquisitions. You know, Clay Buckholtz, Freddie Galvis, guys like that. But you did have, uh, you know, some guys leave with Tulowitzki, obviously, coming over to the Yankees and uh, Solarte, another ex-Yankee, uh, who's no longer there. Talk to us about, you know, what the, I don't know, what the atmosphere is like, what, what, the, what the fans are thinking, what the, what the club is thinking, rebuilding mode. Tell us uh, everything you got on, on the, the general sense of the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, it's pretty clearly a year of transition, and I think it's been tough for a lot of fans to see players like not only Troy Tulowitzki, but Russell Martin, Josh Donaldson, um, just kind of continue this exodus of, uh, you know, former stars that fans fell in love with during the back-to-back ALCS years in 2015 and 16, all leaving town. I think it's been tough for, for fans to, to swallow that pill, you know, and it even extends back to Edwin Encarnacion leaving in free agency. And Jose Bautista leaving. Uh, you know, you could even include David Price in, in that. You know, obviously he was only around for a couple months, but uh, you know, Blue Jays fans are pretty sour when he left after 2015. So you know, it's it's been like a slow peeling off of the Band-Aid rather than a ripping off, which I think has been kind of hard for fans. But this should be the the final season of turning the page on those contending teams of 2015-16. 
uh, and looking forward to, you know, what does look like a pretty bright future for this club. I mean, the Blue Jays have, you know, a consensus top five, top seven farm system in baseball, obviously the best prospect in baseball, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, and some really good prospects behind them too. When you think about, you know, Bo Bichette and, uh, and Nate Pearson and Kevin Smith and Kevin Biggio, you know, a lot of sons of big leaguers that, that are coming up through the Blue Jays system. So, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is not that far away, but Blue Jays fans are still very much in the tunnel. And, and this is going to be a, uh, a tunneling year because, uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays just as currently constructed are going to lose more times than they win. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how you guys progress through the season too because obviously, like you're saying, there's a ton of talent in the minor leagues um, and, and they're you know, pretty damn close to ready to go. You know, I, have to, uh, I have to believe we're going to see a lot of these guys this year at some point. But you know, when you're talking about the rebuilding mode, there's going to be some time that even with these guys, they have to grow. So does that put Toronto in, in, a, in a mode where they're still going to try to stock with young guys at like the trade deadline? Let's say you know, they're, they're well, you know, enough games out that um, uh, they feel comfortable enough they start shipping guys out. Is that, is that kind of the direction they're going to take midseason? Or are they going to try to hold on to some of these guys and thinking that they can actually turn this around quicker with the young guys? Uh, it's, it's definitely the former rather yeah. than the latter. So the Blue Jays are still kind of running this, uh, like this house flipping operation or, you know, this used car lot where they'll bring in, you know, a veteran like a Clay Buckholz or a Bud Norris and, and, you know, bring them on the lot, fix them up, you know, get a new transmission in there, new set of tires and try to get them performing well through the first three months of the season and then try to ship them out at the deadline, uh, you know, for, for futures. And the Blue Jays did that last year with, you know, uh, John Axford, um, Sen Juan O, a couple of veteran relievers who, you know, they brought in, got pitching well during the season and, and then traded at the deadline for futures. Um, John Axford actually back in camp again this year with the Blue Jays just hoping to do the exact same the thing that keeps on over giving. <laughs> this year. So, uh, it, you know, that's what the Blue Jays are doing at the, at the major league level. And, you know, some of their best chips to trade this, you know, come the deadline are actually going to be homegrown guys. When you look at, you know, Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, guys who are part of those 2015 and 16 teams, uh, but guys who are getting close to free agency, they've each got two years to go. Guys who are getting into their, you know, late 20s uh, and guys who, you know, in the opinion of the Blue Jays front office, likely aren't going to be part of the next contending club. So if you've got those two guys pitching well through the first three months of the season, uh, the Blue Jays are really going to endeavor to move them to just continue to supplement their farm system with, with young talent. I mean, the Blue Jays have, you know, quite a bit of it, and they've added quite a bit of it over the last, you know, couple of years. You think about the Jay Happ trade at the deadline with the Yankees last year, getting Billy McKinney and Brandon Drury. Uh, you know, I think the Blue Jays are going to continue to try to do things like that come, uh, come this July as they continue this rebuilding process. So before we get into the, the majority of uh, this, what's happening this season with you guys, I want to backtrack a little bit because obviously there's a, a, a big name that came from the Blue Jays, who you guys are still paying, uh, that is now with the Yankees that is filling our shortstop void. At least that's what we think until DD gets back. But Troy Tulowitzki, obviously a huge name, probably a bigger name than a player at this point in his career, um, but has come over to the Yankees. He kind of he did the, uh, the the show me camp where he he, he kind of showed all the teams that he was healthy, that that you know there were no issues. He's kind of moving forward. Um, Blue Jays decided to release him, but they're still paying him a substantial amount of money. Can you talk to 
talk to uh, you know our audience about Troy Tulowitzki and, and like what that relationship is with the Blue Jays. Why why did they actually uh, you know pay him all this money just to to say goodbye, um, knowing they were in a position they were at uh, this year when you know trying to rebuild and stuff like that? Was he not like one of these guys that you would want to keep there as a, a veteran presence and you know to to have the young guys learn under, or was he just a road a roadblock for Bo Bichette? Yeah, there was a lot of reasons. You know, it was a pretty nuanced thing. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, Troy Tulowitzki, you know, first of all, doesn't really fit with this roster, right? Like, Troy yeah. Tulowitzki is a guy, you know, getting later in his career, wants to win, deserves to play for a team that's going to win. The Blue Jays clearly, you know, one of those many American League teams this year that is not, uh, you know, trying their best to win games. So he was a weird fit that way. Um, you know, I think the Blue Jays did have, you know, concerns about him in the clubhouse with young players. I mean, the Blue Jays really want their young players to build the culture of this clubhouse and come up together and really kind of instill how they're going to do things and how they're going to go about things. So I think a lot of the clearing of the decks with Tulowitzki and Russell Martin and Josh Donaldson was just to get some of those veteran presences out of there uh, and get the blue, let the Blue Jays young players kind of, you know, decide how the clubhouse is going to be run and, 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 you know, be themselves and, and instill the culture there. And then the third thing, and Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins was surprisingly frank about this. The Blue Jays don't really think Troy Tulowitzki can play anymore. You know, they, they don't think he can be a capable everyday shortstop at the major league level. You know, I, I don't, think that they think that the bat plays as well as it used to. I mean, I think that, you know, after the, the surgeries that he had last season, um, the fact that the guy hasn't played in a big league game since the middle of 2017, uh, you know, I think the Blue Jays had very serious concerns just about his abilities. So I think the Blue Jays decided, well, do we want to carry this guy who's earning, you know, $20 million a season and might not be a, a capable everyday big leaguer uh, on our club around all of our you know, young players that we're trying to get reps to and that we want to be, uh, you know, growing together and learning together. Uh, do we want to have this big distraction, this big elephant in the room in the corner of the clubhouse, or is it easier to just pay him to go away uh, and do what's really best for Troy Tulowitzki? Because now he gets to go somewhere where he gets a, a better opportunity. He finally gets to be a Yankee, which is something that, you know, he, he's always talked about, you know, replacing Derek Jeter. Uh, that's been a big thing for him throughout his career. So, you know, Tulo wins in this, and, and the Blue Jays get to kind of spin it PR-wise by saying, oh, you know, we did what's best for Troy Tulowitzki. We really helped them out. We're paying them all this money to go play somewhere else. Uh, but really, I, I think the Toronto Blue Jays just did not want him back in 2019. Yeah, I mean, if people are believing the fact that they did it, they were doing this to do him a favor and then also paying him the $20 million, they, I got I got a bridge yeah. to sell them as well. But the... Uh, the, the reason, I mean, it's interesting that you're saying that, you know, clearing out the culture and, and having the young guys determine how they're going to go about their business. That's, that's interesting. And it, I mean, it makes sense to me. I, I don't know how much it makes sense to uh, some people listening when you think about the money, because the money is still there. I mean, we're in a situation now with, with Jacoby Ellsbury, where we're paying him, you know, a, a stupid amount of money and, and what's he doing for, uh, for the team. So it's a, a similar, uh, similar, you know, situation, I, I would think. But you, you mentioned something about like the way that he, the way that he was in the in the clubhouse. So he, when he came over in what 2015, was he a good presence in the Blue Jays, or has he has there always been kind of a cloud around him? What's what was his presence like in the uh, in the clubhouse? I think he was a great presence in 2015 because the Blue Jays were a very veteran clubhouse at that time, right? So we're talking, you know, Jose Bautista, David Price, Edwin Encarnacion. You know, we're talking about like some veteran players. Like at that point. 
you know, Kevin Pillar was a young guy in that clubhouse. And this season, Kevin Pillar is the most tenured Toronto Blue Jay. So like, that's how quickly things have really changed. So I think that in that veteran clubhouse with guys like Josh Donaldson and Jay Happ as well, and you know, Mark Burley, and then some of the characters that were around at that point, I think Troy Tulowitzki really gelled and fit in well with that clubhouse. But with where the Blue Jays clubhouse is right now, where you're looking around and seeing guys like, you know, Danny Jansen and Lourdes Goriel Jr., um, Richard Urania, I mean, uh, Ryan Barucki, like young players, players who are really just starting their big league careers and who the Blue Jays have spent a lot of time grooming and developing and, and really kind of honing uh, the culture that those guys have built in the minor leagues. I think the Blue Jays really wanted those guys to just, you know, have the, the power to uh, you know, just kind of set the clubhouse discourse, if you will, in in their own terms and do things on their own way. I think that Troy Tulowitzki this year, if he was stewing over playing time and opportunity and you know injuries and and this that and the other, uh, you know, I'm not sure that would have been the most positive presence in in the club in the clubhouse. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, we'll we'll see how this whole thing plays out. It's going to be interesting. I think a lot of people are even you know Yankee fans are skeptical of of Tulowitzki. Obviously, like, you know, like you said, he really hasn't been healthy. Um, and he's kind of a shell of himself, but he's looked pretty good at camp. He was certainly fired up when he played the Blue Jays that first time, hit the home run. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially when uh, when Didi's returning, if he can make it that long. Um, what he's trying to do is fairly unprecedented, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, for to sit out as long as he has with bilateral heel surgery, a guy who was you know. He wasn't necessarily over the hill when he got hurt, but was kind of like on the precipice of being washed yeah. when he got hurt. You know, you look at the numbers offensively in his, you know, in his years in Toronto. I mean, he never was that Colorado Rockies tool for the Blue Jays. He never was that guy, maybe for a week here and there, but never that sustained success. You know, never that guy that we all remember from, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, right? Who was setting the world on fire. So, uh, you know, it's pretty, you know, unprecedented to come back after that much time off and be a capable everyday major league shortstop. Like, I kind of agree in a sense with what Ross Atkins was saying about Troy Tudorowsky. Like, look, this guy is trying to do something that's going to be incredibly hard to do. Mm-hmm. Personally, like, I root for Troy Tudorowsky. Like, I want to see that guy again. I think it would be great if he had this renaissance year with the Yankees. Like, it would be so phenomenal to see him do that. But it, it would also be, you know, something that we really haven't seen happen before. All right. Talking about the young guys, the the future of the Toronto Blue Jays, obviously, number one prospect in baseball. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a guy that everybody's really looking forward to watching. I know not just Toronto fans, but everybody really is, you know, what's uh, what's what's Jr. going to do? Is he going to be hitting balls that are <laughs> that are bouncing at him as well? Is, is this the uh, is this the second coming? It's going to be super interesting. because He's got a lot of height. Um, he's currently got what, a little setback with an injury. Uh, and I guess there were reports of him showing up overweight. What's the what's the story with Vlad? Yeah, he's dealing with a little bit of an oblique strain right now that he uh, suffered on a swing during spring training, and it's obviously very unfortunate for him because this is such an important spring for him. He's you know really facing big league opposition for the first time, um, but in in a way, it was somewhat convenient for the Blue Jays who were always going to send him to the minor leagues at the end of spring training, even though, you know, you mentioned the Zips projections earlier. Zips projects Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be the best player on the Toronto Blue Jays of anyone. <laughs> he had to be projected for three-plus wins, and nobody else is even, you know, above 2.2 or something like that. 
Uh, but the Blue Jays were always going to send down their best player just because of service time manipulation. So they can gain that extra year of contractual control, you know, much like we've seen with Chris Bryant and Ronald Acuna, uh, you know, the White Sox are avoiding having to do that dance with Eloy Jimenez by signing him. The Blue Jays were, were going to do that. They were going to have to come out and say at the end of spring trading, ah, uh, you know, we really think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the best prospect in baseball, a guy who's, you know, evaluators and scouts are, you know, comparing the Hall of Famers. We really think he still needs to develop some more and he needs to work on his defense and his routines and his base running. And then about three weeks into April, they were going to have to come back out and say, hey, it all fixed itself. It's all resolved <laughs> magically. In the you know, in those three weeks, he learned how to be a defender. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's convenient for the Blue Jays that they don't have to do this charade anymore uh but it sucks for vladimir guerrero jr because this is you know and it sucks for us as baseball fans and observers yeah. uh that we don't get to see this guy against big leaguers because he really is the most interesting Toronto blue jay this year i mean he is the guy that when he is eventually in the majors if that's you know early may mid-may whenever that does happen he's the guy that fans are going to want to see that guys are going to come out and want to watch because he is that he could be that franchise cornerstone pillar you know if he does turn out to be as good as basically everybody thinks that he will be uh you know he could be a really really special player and, and a rare talent you're talking about service time and the manipulation and and, and having a uh, convenient but not convenient for everybody watching but is this something that there were maybe uh, you know, the injury could have been something that was not as serious, but we're going to take it, take it slowly and just make sure that everything is okay. And, and, you know, service time, obviously being the, the, the real reason it's happening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if it's something like that from a, from an outsider's look, that's, it, it could be something like that, but what about Bichette and Biggio and all these other guys that you have coming up? I and mean, is this, we're not going to see them, you know, until May, most likely. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, you mentioned the slides injury, and it is an oblique issue, and it is a core issue, an abdominal right. issue. And this is a guy who had um, a knee issue last year that caused him to miss about six weeks. And I think the fact that he's had these two injuries and the types of injuries that he's had in a pretty, you know, short amount of time has given the Blue Jays some concern about Vladdy's body composition. And yeah. that's something that, you know, he raised earlier. I mean, he is a big boy. You know, he came uh, at the beginning of camp, the Blue Jays had him listed at 6'1", 200 pounds. And it was like such a farce that yeah. they had him listed that, that they then relisted him uh, a couple weeks later as 250 pounds. So, you know, to believe the Blue Jays, he gained 50 pounds in two weeks, right? Uh, and, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, just by looking at him, you know, 250 might even be conservative. He is a big guy. And that's how he generates a lot of his power. This guy's exit velocity numbers in the minor leagues are off the charts. Yeah. You know, we're talking 118, 119 off the bat, uh, like rather often. We're talking about, you know, coaches are telling me that like it's rare when he doesn't barrel a ball over 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, he had a, a hit that went somewhat viral this spring where, you know, he, he almost got fooled on a pitch. I think it was a 3-2 pitch and he you know, was basically just trying to foul it off and just trying to stay alive in the at-bat threw his bat out there with only one hand on it uh, and made contact on a bad pitch and hit it off the top of the left field wall. You know, he can really barrel the ball. And a lot of that comes from his girth and from his power. Uh, but I do think that the Blue Jays, from a longevity perspective, uh, you know, want him to address his, his body composition. 
you know, and want him to, to maybe, uh, you know, really refine his, his nutrition and his conditioning uh, just so that he can be the best that he can be, you know, throughout his career. It's not a big problem now when he's 19 uh, or 20, he just turned 20 and it can bounce back from anything and is essentially made of rubber like we all were when we were all 19 and 20. But I think the Blue Jays' concern is, well, when you're 28, what's this going to look like? You know, we want you to have a long, productive career. So that's a big concern there. And then, yeah, you mentioned guys like Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio, you know, Nate Pearson. Uh, a lot of those guys, the, the top player, Blue Jays prospects, I mean, it's going to be a surprise to see any of them in the big leagues this year. Maybe Kevin Biggio. Um, because he's a bit more advanced. He's like 23, 24. And if we were talking about him at this time last year, the Blue Jays would have, you know, described him as an org guy, basically. And then he had this breakout 2018 at double A. So, uh, you know, the, he's a guy that maybe the Blue Jays wouldn't be as cautious with. But when it comes to Bo Bichette, you know, that's a guy who tore it up this spring, uh, but who the Blue Jays are really trying to develop and groom and be as careful with as possible. So he's going to go to AAA, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was there all season. Yeah, he was interesting. I was I was actually at the game at Dunedin last Thursday and got to see Bichette play a little shortstop. Um, he, he looks, and, and, you know, just the way he swings the bat, he looks good. He looks, he looks very good. Another guy that I did see down there, which is, uh, I'm sure, a, a, a high level of excitement for when he gets to Toronto because – it very well could be at some point this season, your guy Rowdy. Rowdy is playing triple A. He's what, 6'4? He actually is 6'4, 250 plus. He's a massive human being. His name is Rowdy. I got to believe the Blue Jays fans are pumped about this dude. Yeah, well, he's been a prospect at the Jays for a long time. I mean, they drafted him in 2013. So, you know, he's been coming for a while, and he's kind of had these, this, intermittent career where you know he he went to he didn't really tear the cover off the ball or anything in the lower minors and he reached double a and he had this like phenomenal season you know it was a full season at double a uh and he you know he had the ops up over 900 and a whole bunch of home runs and people were thinking oh wow you know this guy is is legit and then he got to uh triple a for the first time in it would have been 2017 i guess because this is going to be his third year triple a now and uh, he struggled pretty significantly, and uh, it didn't look good at all, and I think dealt with some injuries and, and really had his struggles. And then uh, last season, had to repeat AAA and uh, struggled as well, but you know, for different reasons. His, uh, his mother actually was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, she actually ended up passing away during the season. So Rowdy had to be leaving the team a number of times, uh, I think four times he had to leave the team to go wow. tend to that. And he had a lot going on in his personal life. And he's yeah. been, you know, to his credit, he's been very open about it mm -hmm. and very honest about it. And he's spoken about it in the media, which is why I'm able to talk about it right now. Sure. Um, you know, he's been, uh, you know, it's, that's actually been kind of inspiring just to watch him go through that and deal with that and process those emotions and be as mature um, and, and just, you know, gathered, I guess, as, as, as he has been in the face of that and persevere through that and then he had this great moment um last at the end of last year when he got up to the majors in September and he just went on a tear I mean he would have played maybe 20 games in September and I want to say he hit 10 doubles I mean he was going off and a bunch of homers too I mean he just had this great month of September uh, at a time when the Blue Jays were calling up a lot of their young players um they called up 39 of the 40 guys wow. on their roster last, uh, last September. And you had a young play. It was the Toronto Buffalo Bisons every night. <laughs> uh, or Hutcher Center. 
Uh, and and it, it was really cool just to watch Rowdy just go off like that. And like you said, he's a fun player because he's a massive human being. He's got the name Rowdy. I mean, you can build a million promotions around this guy. Uh, and he barrels the hell out of the ball. You know, it's fun to watch players like that. The problem for him this season is that he's blocked. Kendris Morales is, is here. Justin Smoke is here. Those are two veteran guys who can only play first base DH. Rowdy Tell has a young guy who can only play first base DH. So one of those two guys is going to have to leave town before Rowdy can get up to Toronto and see consistent at-bats this year. Yeah, I, I do hope it's Justin Smoke. Uh, he's been a Yankee killer for a while. <laughs> so I would not yeah. mind uh, not seeing him, you know, however many times we play the Blue Jays, uh, you know, in the 18, 19 times. That's a, that's a guy that I don't look forward to seeing at the plate at any point. So um, I hope Rowdy gets up soon. I really do. And it'd be fun to, uh, to see a guy named Rowdy playing up in Toronto. Um, but talking about some of the new guys or the, the current guys on the team, the looking forward to this season, you mentioned uh, guys like Stroman, Aaron Sanchez. Uh, they're, you know, these are guys that were highly touted coming in. I think Sanchez had that breakout in 2016, um, and then he's had issues with blisters and just hasn't been healthy. Uh, Stroman's a, a vocal guy. And interesting about what you were talking about, uh, Tulowitzki and shipping all these other guys out, Donaldson. Um, but Stroman's still there, you know, not really living up to, I think, what everybody expected him to do, but he's been a vocal guy as well. I'm, I'm, I'm curious on how that fits into the, the clubhouse situation as well. So uh, just specifically about those two guys, uh, what, are we, what are we expecting? Yeah, Marcus Stroman is a player that the Blue Jays are rather motivated to move, yeah. I would say. And, uh, they, they had pretty extensive discussions in the offseason with, uh, with the Padres, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, and, you know, it, it kind of got to a point where Marcus Stroman last or this, this past winter was coming off of, you know, probably the worst season of his big league career. I mean, a year where basically he chased his season the entire year. He dealt with shoulder inflammation in the spring. Uh, he rushed back from it to try to be ready, to, you know, for the opening week of the season. And he was. Uh, but that just kind of set him back. And he hadn't ended up hitting the DL, you know, again. Uh, in the middle of the season, I guess, ended up missing quite a bit of time, uh, you know, and ended up having the season where he had an ERA of five and a half uh, and kind of admitted to us this spring, like, look, I never felt right last year. You know, I was chasing it the entire season. I rushed back. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't do everything I needed to to get fully healthy before I returned. And Look, you hate to, you know, detract from a guy for doing that because I think that, you know, fans always want players to push the limits and to play hurt and to, you know, do everything they can to help their team at the big league level. Uh, but it clearly worked against Marcus Stroman. So from the Blue Jays perspective, he's coming off of this awful year and they're trying to trade him in the off season. And I'm sure that the value they were seeing back in negotiations wasn't where they thought it should have been for a guy who in, like you said, in 2016, 2017 had two really remarkable seasons where, you know, he threw 200 innings, each season, uh, he if he didn't lead the MLB in ground ball rate, he would have been second only to Dallas Keuchel. Uh, you know, he was really, really good. He was on the mound every five days, uh, basically being, you know, the, the ace of, of the pitching staff. Uh, so I think the Blue Jays figured, well, let's get him healthy this year. Let's get him back on the mound. Let's, uh, you know, get three good months out of him and then try to turn, you know, turn him around at the, uh, the 2019 trade deadline. And then maybe we can get better value than we were seeing, you know, at the winter meetings and, and you know, throughout uh, throughout the offseason. So I, I, I think that's what Blue Jays are going to look to do with him. Aaron Sanchez is a guy who's been so snake-bitten over the last couple of years. It was 2016 when he had his breakout. and He was an all-star. Uh, he, you know, top 10 Cy Young guy, 
had, uh, I think he led the American League in ERA right around three, uh, almost 200 innings. I mean, he has this phenomenal season. And ever since, he has dealt with persistent blister issues and uh, persistent finger issues with a uh, pulley tendon in uh, his index finger, which just sapped his velocity, hurt his location, uh, you know, made it really hard for him to locate his two-seamer and throw his curveball effectively. And, you know, he has basically spent the last 24 months dealing with those things. Uh, had surgery this offseason, feels like he's good to go. He's looked good in spring. He's looked like a guy who is, you know, getting used to being on the mound again and then getting used to his mechanics again after going through this journey with his, his hand and his fingers over the last couple of years. But uh, he's a guy who, if he can get back up to the form or anything even close to the form they was in 2016, the Blue Jays will have an interesting decision to make there about whether they want to move him at the deadline or possibly, you know, I would advocate for potentially extending him. Um, it's, it would be difficult with Aaron Sanchez because he's a Scott Boris client. And the Blue Jays and Scott Boris have not always seen eye to eye. Uh, and Scott Boris is a guy who typically likes to take his, his top guys to free agency. So, uh, you know, that would be a, you know, a tricky road to hoe. Uh, but it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of eyes on just what Aaron Sanchez looks like over the first couple months of, of this season uh, as he comes off of basically two lost years. We talked about the trade to the Yankees uh, with Jay Happ, the guys going over there, McKinney and Drury. How are they looking this year? I know Drury had some really just another guy snake bitten really last year had some bad luck. Um, and McKinney also actually, when he got called up and ran into a wall, had to go down when he had an opportunity to play in the outfield. Uh, just so two guys that I think Yankee fans were excited for um, and uh, and definitely have, you know, good careers ahead of them. How are they looking this spring? Yeah, I can't say enough good things about Jay Happ, just by the way. I think yeah. he's going to be great for the Yankees. I mean, he was such a good presence in the Blue Jays clubhouse, a great guy to deal with. Uh, you know, a really quiet leader, but somebody who had a really strong influence on Toronto's young pitchers. You know, when Ryan Barucki, who is uh, kind of a fellow lefty, came up last year, Jay Happ really took him under his wing and kind of showed him, you know, how to do things in the majors. You know, you would always see shots of those two in the uh, in the dugout during games, just talking, talking about the game, and then Jay Happ just sharing what he could with them. Um, you know, I like I thought the Blue Jays should have tried to re-sign. Jay Happ this past offseason, and they might have, but I, you know, I'm sure the, you know the, the Yankees are a much better fit for him at this point in his career. He wants to win; he deserves to win. I think he's going to be a great part of the Yankees. Um, Brandon Drury is a guy who, you know, I don't have to tell you that he had a really rough 2018 uh, when it comes to injuries, when it comes to underperformance. Uh, you know, the, he was sent down to the minors, and obviously was very unhappy about that. Uh, and you know, he actually ended his year with this uh, kind of mysterious broken bone, I guess, in his, in his wrist or maybe his, his forearm, uh, which he suffered with the Yankees when he got hit by a pitch. And, you know, as he tells it, uh, you know, the Yankees misdiagnosed the, the issue and, and told him that, you know, it was just a contusion. Uh, and then he was traded to the Blue Jays. And a few weeks into his Blue Jays tenure, you know, he still had this quote-unquote contusion. And the Jays doctors were saying, well, you know, a contusion shouldn't be lasting this long. And they went and got more x-rays and turned out he had a broken bone in there. And that ended his season. So a very frustrating year for Brandon Drury. But this spring, he has looked really good. I mean, he is, you know, I want to say he's got an OBP up over 400 through, you know, I don't know, we're talking about 20 spring games here. So it's a, it's a sample size thing. But still, he's looked phenomenal. And he's been playing a great third base. He's going to man third base for the Blue Jays until Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is ready to come up. And then I think the Blue Jays see 
Drury shifting over to second or possibly a corner outfield spot. And Billy McKinney is just like a fun, exciting young player, yeah. you know, and a guy who uh, had trouble getting opportunities with the Yankees. It's a pretty tough outfield to, <laughs> to crack when you think about some of the names in, in New York. Uh, but he's going to have a, an opportunity here in Toronto. Uh, maybe not to play every day. He might split time with Teoscar Hernandez and left but he will be on the major league roster, you know, from opening day forward. And he's a guy who I think when he's in the lineup is probably going to hit leadoff because the Blue Jays don't have a prototypical leadoff hitter. And Charlie Montoyo has identified Billy McKinney as a guy that he could see leading off. So I, I think the Blue Jays are excited just to see what he can do with the regular major league reps. Yeah. I, I saw Drury. He played, he was playing third on, uh, on Thursday when I was there in person and man, he looked like the guy that we thought we were getting. He's a, he's a hell of a ball player and he just looks quick and strong and fast and he's uh he, he's a guy that you you look at him and you kind of your eyes get a little big because he just he just looks like a major league baseball player like to a t and and when you see the ball uh jumping off of his bat it, it gets you excited um billy mckinney is a, a good dude he's definitely one of the guys that we root for we've had him on the show in the past and i think some of the guys that we have on the show and get to know more of a personal level we we root for as well so uh i definitely hope he gets some some good opportunity up there. A um, couple couple things before I let you go. Um, I definitely want to get your uh, your um, predictions for what happens in the AL East. We're doing this with all the guys we talk to from other teams in the AL East. But before that, something really interesting I think that that is of note and that we could talk about real quick. Um, the Blue Jays are increasing minor league salaries by what fifty percent or more. It's it's interesting that that is coming out, and you know, there's been a lot of conversations about arbitration and and guys, you know, not getting to free agency fast enough, and you know, all of that. I think has kind of trickled down into the minor leagues and maybe elevated that platform a bit more. And um, you know, we're seeing how little these guys are actually making in the minor leagues. So, can you talk about the motivations behind that? Why they're at, you know why they decided to do that now, and just uh, you know what Toronto, um, what the what the brass is thinking by doing this. Yeah, I think that, you know, on a grander scale, they, they did it because minor leaguers are, and exploited is a strong word, but exploited. Yep. When you look at what these guys make, I mean, you know, fans just aren't familiar with the salaries the guys are making. But if you're a single A or double A ball player, you know, you might be earning fifteen to $16,000 in a season. Um, and if you're a, you know, say a, a fourth year college senior out of the draft, you know, like, and you signed for a signing bonus of $1,000 to $10,000, uh, you know, you're in a situation where you need supplementary income. You know, you need to work as an Uber driver in the off season. You need to be running food for skip the dishes. And this is, these are real stories of things that guys are doing. A lot of ball players are Uber drivers in the off season. It's just, it's kind of mind boggling. So, and it's not a problem just for the Blue Jays. And this is across the industry. Oh, yeah. uh, if you tally up the amount of hours that ball, you know, minor league ball players put into a week when it's, you know, in game, pregame, postgame appearances, the long bus rides and everything, these guys are making way, way, way below minimum wage. Um, so I, I think that just as an industry issue, it's something that needed to be addressed. And I think that that time was coming because we've seen um, a lot more reporting on these issues over the last, you know, few seasons. And obviously it was, uh, you know, Emily Walden and, and Ken Rosenthal who sh- shared the byline at the athletics when they broke this news. And I mean, Emily Walden's done a lot of great reporting on, on this stuff over, over the years. And a lot of other people are starting to you know, poke around with just the, the plight of minor leaguers and, and what these guys go through and, and the way that these guys get used. So, 
I think that, you know, the Blue Jays probably sensed that a correction was coming in the industry and said, well, we can get out ahead of that. And when you look at the total cost, um, and we don't have the exact figures, but you know, the, the total cost of the franchise on their bottom line for increasing the salaries of all their minor leaguers, I mean, we're talking about, you know, uh, aggressively maybe a million dollars. You know, it could be as, as little as 800000 You know, you're talking about basically a major league minimum contract for one, you know, uh, for one year. So it's not a massive expense. Um, and it is a progressive step that the Blue Jays are doing this. I wouldn't argue that it's a leap by any means. Because if, you know, a minor league ball player is making, say, $10,000 for the season, if you increase his wages by 50%, okay, great, now he's making $15,000. You know, that's better than $10,000, but still not a lot. Uh, And it still creates, you know, a a situation where you have minor leaguers going through their minor league careers. Uh, Maybe they never reach the majors and they spend seven or eight years in the system and they just end up one of those minor league releases at the, at the end of the season and they wash out of the game and they have less money in their bank account than they had when they entered it. Um, you know, you're still, you still got a situation where I think you're going to see minor leaguers having to have off season jobs. You know, I think you still have a barrier to entry in professional baseball for people from underprivileged communities, for people from demographics where you didn't grow up with a lot of money and you can't afford to essentially pay to play as a minor leaguer. So, you know, I, I don't think that this solves all the issues, uh, but it is at least a progressive first step. I think the Blue Jays, you know, benefit from the good PR, the goodwill that they will earn. I know a lot of Blue Jays minor leaguers are happy that this has happened. And if your minor league ball players can't afford to be better fed, better clothed, you know, better housed, you know, if they're not sharing a a one plus den with, you know, four teammates, right? Like if, if now there's only four guys living in there instead of five, uh, that can only, you know, be beneficial and keep your minor leaguers happier and the Blue Jays hope, you know, continue to, you know, that those guys will then progress to be, you know, good major leaguers for them someday. I mean, when you, when you talk about some of these numbers, it's pretty mind boggling in today's age because it's, it almost sounds like you're referring to like, you know, a, a scout in the 1930s going to a cow farm and giving 500 bucks and a, a bus ticket to Toledo to a player to go and play minor league baseball. I mean, it's, it's like when they're when you think about how much they're getting paid, it's uh, and, and compare it to what they were getting paid years and years ago. It, it, it you know, when you think about it just off the cuff, it doesn't it doesn't seem like that much that big of a difference. But it's pretty crazy uh, how they're still making such little money. I mentioned Kevin Pillar earlier. I mean, he's a guy who was a 32nd round pick for the Blue Jays, his signing bonus was $1,000. That was it out of uh, California State University, Dominguez Hills. You know, like he had zero leverage. He was a college senior coming out of an NCAA Division II program. And the Blue Jays said, look, do you want to be a pro or not? Here's a thousand bucks, like just a token thousand bucks. He took it and he is a wild success story and that he built, you know, he, he entered, you know, rookie ball and stopped at every uh, every stage on his way to the majors and now is in the big leagues, uh, you know, however many years later, I mean, it's probably, you know, almost eight or nine years after he entered the, uh, the Blue Jays organization. Uh, and he's now the longest tenured Blue Jay. You know, he's a guy who's played almost every day in center field for the last four seasons. I mean, he's a wild success story, but he, that's, you know, the outlier. Most guys who get those $1,000 bonuses or $10,000 bonuses out of college end up washing out of the game. You know, and maybe they get a guarantee in, in their contract that, you know, the, the, the team will help them with education 
at some point, you know, or, or will help them get on their feet. But I think that a lot of guys come out of this game with less money than they entered it. And they realize, oh, I've just put, you know, five to six years of my 20s into this thing. And I don't really have a lot to show for it. All right, Arden, before we get going, uh, the predictions for the AL East. Again, we're asking everybody we speak with uh, who represents another team in the AL East what their predictions are. So let's hear them. Uh, just in terms of like the standings? In terms of the standings, yep. Uh, I think the New York Yankees are going to run away with this division. Um, you're telling me you guys got basically nothing from Gary Sanchez last year. Still won over 100 games, and all you've done since is add James Paxton. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you didn't get a Giancarlo Stanton-esque season last year. Uh, you, you've, you've got, you know, great young players around the diamonds, um, you know, a really great farm system. I mean, some of, you know, obviously the, the setbacks for Luis Severino and CC Sabathia are disappointed, disappointing. But then you look at some of the names from your from your system that might be filling in those those gaps, and those are guys who could be starting for a lot of teams around the majors. So I really do think it's it's the Yankees winning this division. Uh, you know, I think that the Red Sox are going to be good again. I think the Red Sox as an organization are heading for a cliff when some of their players become free agents and some of their players become old. Uh, their their farm system is just there isn't another layer there. There's there aren't a lot more guys coming. You know, they've spent a lot of their prospect capital, and they do not have a highly ranked farm system. But I think that the, the Red Sox will be good this season. I think the Rays are just always going to be pesky. So I would put them in third place. Uh, I think they're just always going to be you know, a team that's a tough out, a team that's innovative, and a team that really gets the most out of not a lot of resources. I think that if the Rays ever, if their ownership ever decided to spend, if their ownership ever invested in payroll, I mean, the Rays could be a real problem for the American league, uh, but they, they obviously don't, but I think they'll be scrappy and they'll at least be in it for, you know, that second wild card spot. I think the Yankees win the division. The Red Sox are a wild card team. The Rays are in it for a second wild card spot. The Blue Jays will just be, you know, average. They will uh, finish fourth in the division. They'll lose more games than they win, uh, but they won't be as bad as the Baltimore Orioles who will, uh, I think again, lose well over 100 games. Very good, very good, and maybe the Rays need a uh, a little bit of a change of scenery. How about how about Montreal? I think they're uh, they could use a baseball team. There's a lot of people in Canada who would love for that to happen. Yeah, I would I would love to see the Expos back again. It would be um, I think it'd be nice and fitting for the for the for the Devil Rays to to get rid of the Devil Rays and move up and take on the old uh, the old Expos uh, image. It would be a perfect perfect little uh, little fit for those guys. Hey, if, if they could build a new ballpark in Montreal and, and get that in place, I'd be all for it. I don't want them playing at Olympic Stadium anymore. You know, the Blue Jays play two games there every spring, and uh, I've gone and covered it, and it is just not a modern place for baseball. <laughs> it's, you know, that it looks like they're playing on the same turf that they were playing on in the 80s or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think a, a new ballpark would be needed in Montreal. But, yeah, if they got the new ballpark, I mean, Everybody in Canada would be, you know, through the roof about having another franchise up here. All right, Arden, thanks so much for coming on. Again, guys, if you want to follow Arden, he's uh, uh, at Sportsnet Toronto. You can follow him on Twitter, at Arden Zwelling. Again, thanks, man, for your time. And, uh, yeah, we'll speak with you soon. Thank you, man. Take it easy. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. 
If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.